Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. Well, today we're going to dig deeper into the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to look at chapter 3, the first 14 verses. So let's get right into it. Why don't you get out your Bibles? If you don't have a Bible today, you can look in your Crosswalk notes, which is in your bulletin, or the words will be right above me on the screen. And you know what? Let's, let's read these verses together. Kind of get us going on the right foot here. So verses 1 to 14 of chapter 3. We begin. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. Now, the first eight verses of this chapter, any of you think of a song? It's an oldie but a goodie. It wasn't really in my generation, maybe in Jeff's generation. But uh, any of you think of the song? Can you, can you shout it out if you know about it? Turn, turn, turn. I heard it there, right? There is a season. I'm not, I'm not Jonathan. I can't sing. But if you go to that song by the birds, I think it was in the, in the 60s, I think, almost word for word, that, th- those lyrics are from the first eight verses here. So these, these verses are pretty popular even in the secular world. Okay? It's something that, that we all can pretty much wrap our mind around, right? That there is a time for everything, balance in life. And if you were here during our bailout series... Uh, the last time that I spoke was, was about time is money. That was the topic. And I referenced some of these verses because it just made sense. Right? When you're talking about managing your time, there is a time for any, everything. That, just, that de- definitely falls right into it. But then I got this topic, digressions and ruminations. All right. And then this assigned text. And how do digressions and ruminations have to do with this text? What are digressions and ruminations in the first place, right? Do you think about that? We might kind of know, but well, let's get right at it. Let's define it. If you look at your crosswalk notes here, I have a, a definition for the word rumination. And the first one is the act or process of chewing cud. Nice, huh? Picture a cow sitting there in a nice farm field and chewing away at what it spit up from its stomach. Yeah, nice and lovely, right? But what's interesting about that is that it plays really well into 
the definition that, that we use a lot about rumination, and, and that is obsessive or abnormal reflection upon an idea or deliberation over a choice. So a cow doesn't let the food pass on its natural course out of the body, but brings it back to the beginning. So rumination is, is the thought of not letting a worry, not letting a thought, not letting those cares pass their natural course, but we bring them back up again, and we think about them, and we worry about them, and it becomes obsessive, right? So that thought of chewing cud really plays in well what rumination is. So by the word rumination, why don't you get your pens out and write the word worry, not all rumination is worry, but a lot of it is. Put the word worry there. And now digression, uh, you know, we, we say the word digress when we're speaking sometimes. If I'm talking about this message and then I start talking about baseball, you would have say that, that I have digressed. Right? People try to sound smart when I digress, you know, from the conversation. But sometimes digression can be thought, and in the biggest digression are, are, are daydreams, right? I've got a, a really great clip I want to show you about, about a daydream. I'm going to let the clip play, and then we'll kind of explain it. So why don't you look at this clip and, and think about digression here. So we'll watch it. All right. It's a kind of a, a, a funny clip, and if you've seen the rest of the movie... You know the rest of the story. I like this because if, if Albert would have daydreamed and would have digressed from his objective, which was to shock and awe and to impress this girl, right? The only time he would be riding around that car with her scarf flowing in the, in the breeze is in his brain. And what happened in the movie, because he knew his objective, he ended up being her boyfriend at the end of the movie. So it's just kind of a, a, a funny clip about how digressions, when we don't let them master us, we can a, achieve the goal that we want, right? And now I, I want to look at the other definitions of digressions here, because often digression is, is an action. So let's look at the other definition here for digression. A turning aside of your course or attention or concern, and this is my favorite one, wandering from the main path of a journey. And that's really the thing we're going to focus on. So rumination, we're going to focus on worry, and then digression, wandering from the main path of a journey. And I think we all would probably agree that, you know, you hear those phrases, the road of life, life is a journey, and it, it pretty much is, right? And on any journey, what do you have to do first? You sit down, you get out the, the road map, you have to figure out where you're going. You have to figure out your destination. Hopefully you'll do that. So where's our destination? And what are some of the roadblocks and some of the hazards along the way? Well, let's go back to verse 11 here. It says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to end. You know, I, I uh, have a Concordia self-study Bible. And if you don't have a self-study Bible, it's it, kind of a good gift to, to get yourself. At the bottom of, of the pages are, are little references or little explanations. And I love what the author uh, says in, in my study Bible here about this verse. That everything is beautiful in its time. There's so many awesome things out there, aren't there? So many things that, that we can try to go and, and grasp. So many tantalizing 
uh, amazing things in this life that, that we want to grab a hold of. And you know, if, if we even got a hold of all those pleasures, just like Solomon tried to do, I mean, he thought if one wife wasn't good, why not have 700 of them? Which he did in, in the book of First Kings, we're told that. And 300 concubines. Why not a thousand women to give me companionship, right? And why not all the riches and all the wisdom in the world? And I'll study and I'll do all these things. And yet he says that at the end it was meaningless. Well, why is that? And in this verse 11, it says, because eternity was set in your heart from the time you were born. All of us by nature have this, this inkling that there is something bigger than, than me. There's something bigger than this life that I know this isn't the end, right? And God puts that in our hearts so we seek out him and we seek out the true path. And so we don't find our own path, right? Well, is this destination good? Let's look at this next Bible verse here in John. 1 John 2.25. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. If someone's going to promise you something, it's, it's usually going to be good, right? If we want them to fulfill that promise. If you're waiting and hoping that someone will fulfill some sort of promise, you, you think it's a good thing. So we have the, the confidence that we know that our destination is something promised from God, and it's a great thing. It's eternal life. Eternal life of happiness. The Bible tells us where every tear will be wiped away from our eye. Sounds like a great place, right? We're also told, though, in the book of Matthew, our next verse, small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Kind of eye-opening verse, isn't it? Earlier in this verse in Matthew, it talks about how wide is the gate and broad is the road to another destination. And that's not eternal life, that's eternal death and destruction. So everyone is headed somewhere. And you know, the, the reason why that path is narrow, the true path, isn't because God made it that way. It's because so many people choose to take the other one. And also the path is narrow because we're following one person. In the Bible, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. So following one guy is going to be kind of a narrow path, but we know where it leads, and that's our first point. We have one final destination to our journey as we follow the narrow path, and that's eternal life. So we set that up on our, on our journey that, okay, we know where we're going, and we know it's, it's a better place than here. We know that this, this life is really only a, a path to that destination that this life isn't the destination that's why we call this series a futility of focusing on the physical so we're looking ahead at our destination all right so what, what are going to be the roadblocks here all right so i know my destination and life's going to be a nice smooth paved road right all the way to the end and we know that's not true <laughs> and here's where i want to tackle rumination i want to tackle worry all right, so these verses say there is a time for everything, right? And we all get that. We understand that. We like that thought of, of balance. We'll listen. We'll turn the birds on and listen to turn, turn, turn. And now there's a time for everything. But what's tough is that we don't look at that words that there is a time for everything. 
And we want to turn that to, I want it to be my time and not God's timing for everything. Are you maybe going through a time of being torn down right now? Or are you experiencing some hate in a hateful environment, maybe at your job, maybe there is no job? Are you experiencing some time of, of sorrow and you think it's about time that you get laughter? You think it's about time that, that you are built up? You think it's about time that you receive the positive side, right? There is a time for everything and it's God's time. Just like we can't make the season of spring come on any faster. We can't make summer come on any faster. We can't control the seasons. We can't control time. But again, we know if our final destination is heaven, and if Jesus is the way, he knows that every time in our life, he's going to make sure that, that keeps us on the path, whatever it is, right? Whatever it is. But you know, the funny thing about worry is that from the outside, you can't really tell that someone is not doing well on their journey, right? But inside, you might feel completely turned around. Oh, that person's got it all together. When every day they're worrying about how they're going to pay the bills. They're worrying about if they're going to find someone in life. They're worrying about so many different things, right? And in my mind, I think that worry is like on the road of life. If, if we're going to say that, you know, we're in our car in life and we're driving down the road. Worry a lot of times is like that blinding sun in the windshield. That ever happened to you, especially down here in Arizona? Where you're driving along and all of a sudden, oh my goodness. That sun just got right in my eye. Or maybe at night you're driving down a curvy road and, and coming along the, the, the curve is, is someone who only knows how to use their brights. And boom, that flashes right in your face, right? And it catches you off guard. And what does that cause you to do? That causes you to, to close your eyes and, and to turn away. Now, that can be a little dangerous when you're driving, right? To take our eyes off the road to take our eyes off of the destination and then to focus on this life. And that's what worry does. That's exactly what Solomon tells us not to do. And that's when everything is meaningless. You know, worry is also like fog. When you come up to misty fog on the road, you can definitely still look ahead. But what does it do? It makes you question if you should still stay on this path. I don't know what's up ahead. I don't know if this is the right way. Should I, should I take some other path? I mean, I, I've heard of some other ways. This, this guy's having a lot of fun in his life. He's not following Jesus' path. And I'm not sure if this is what I want to do. And I'm worried about so many things. And that fog, that fog blocks our destination. It blocks the focus on heaven. It blocks the focus of, of, of Jesus' back as he's leading us up that path, right? So we've got the sunlight in our eyes. We've got the rumination right there. You know what driving instructors will tell you to do if you get that bright light in your, in your eyes or if there's fog coming? What do they tell you to look? Down at the center line, right? You're driving and you see that yellow line and that leads you on the path. You don't have to stare at the bright sun. You don't have to stare at the fog. You look right down at the yellow line and that'll guide you to safety. That'll guide you still on the path. Because we all know we're going to have the blinding sun. We're going to have the fog. And maybe it's a lot right now for you. Maybe you're out in the middle of the Sahara and the sun is coming down. Or maybe you're in a fo foggy mountaintop and there's no way to see through it. 
Look at the yellow line. And that's exactly what we're doing here today, isn't it? Every time that we gather around the word of God and we listen to his promises, that's a look at the yellow line. We had a baptism today. That's a look at the yellow line. Every time communion is celebrated, that's a look at the yellow line. Every time that you pray, that you open up the Bible, that you have a devotion in your home, that you have an encouraging conversation with someone, that's a look at the yellow line. Every time you join a ministry team and serve, that's a look at the yellow line. So God gives us all these ways that in the midst of, of worry and rumination, we have a guide, and that's him, and that's his word. Well, let's look to his word. What does it say here? Matthew 7, verses 25, and then 32 to 33. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Underline these next, this next verse. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness And all these things will be given to you as well. I'm reading a book right now called Mastering the Management Buckets. It's a management book. And uh, the author explains that a lot of managers, what they'll do is they will spend all of their time and all of their energy focusing on barriers to results rather than opportunities to results. So what that means is they spend all their time and all their energy putting out the fires, solving the problems that they never have their eyes focused on. What could be better? What could be bigger? What are the opportunities that are going to come? And they realize that they never find time for these opportunities because they're always focused on the problem. Another business book, Good to Great, from Jim Collins. And he says, if you're a smart leader, if you're a smart boss, you'll put your best people Not on your biggest problems, but on your best opportunities. And you know what they find there? They find that when they put their best people on on their best opportunities, and when the managers focus on, on getting results from opportunities, that those barriers, they get knocked down. And the problems, they get met. You know, Pastor Jeff is a little cooler than me. He he rides a motorcycle and uh you know, he was, had his leather jacket on one day, and he's walking into the office. And we had a conversation uh, about this, and uh, he says in his training course, when you're on your motorcycle, they teach you to, if you're going through two barriers, to not look at the cones. Don't look at the barriers, or you'll drive right into them. No, what do they tell you to do? They say, concentrate on the gap in between the two barriers, and you'll go right through. And the verse I had you underline right now. Let's go back to that. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seeking first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. Seeking first that true destination. Seeking following Jesus. That is the opportunity. And when our focus is on there, what does it say? All of these worries, all of these concerns about what you're going to eat what you're going to wear, where you're going to find your job, when you're going to find that person to be with you for the rest of your life. All these things will be given to you as well. Kind of a neat concept, isn't it? 
And really, that kind of leads to point number one. I'm really talking about being content. Number one says, godliness with contentment is great gain and is a powerful force against worry. I want to look at this next verse right here. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. Now Solomon says a lot about the futility of work. How if I work, 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 and I build up all my possessions, you know at the end of the day, a U-Haul truck is not following a hearse, is it? You never see that. You can't take any of it with you. And anything you do build up, you have to pass on to someone else. So Solomon says all that is meaningless. But yet here he says, find satisfaction in all of your toil. Find satisfaction in the pleasure of eating and drinking and doing good. And you know, he says this seven times in the book of Ecclesiastes. For a book that says everything is meaningless, if he says something is meaningful seven times, I'm going to look at that. And that is screaming contentment. Looking at your life and saying, I am happy with what God has given me. Especially in this time right now, how many of your prayers are prayers of thanks? How many of you woke up this morning and, and were able to turn on electricity in your home? Were able to, to take a shower with hot water? We're able to get here to crosswalk. We're able to eat a donut outside. I just want to, I want you to think about saying a prayer of thanks for all those great things that God has given you. And maybe the, the misty fog of worry and the blinding sun of worry will maybe just go away for a little bit and we'll see that opportunity, right? But now, sometimes I don't like that word content because to me it seems sometimes it's like just rolling over and dying, Right? You're giving in or you're settling. Oh, I hate that word, settle. Ugh. Right? Reminds me a uh, personal story. When I was about 19 or so, I was talking with uh, one of my old high school teachers. And I was a single guy at the time. And, you know, I was like, I'm never going to find anyone. And I'm going to be single the rest of my life. I'm just going to have to settle for any old girl. Because oh. I knew there was three things that, that I wanted in someone. I knew I wanted someone who who I, I could be around and, and that we have the same interests and, and that would be with me for the rest of my life, you know, something simple like that. I, I knew I wanted someone I was attracted to physically, intellectually, and I knew I wanted someone who was on the same path as I was and who had the same destination in mind and had the same leader and was a Christ follower, all those three. And I thought, well, maybe I'll get two out of three if I'm lucky, you know, one out of three if I'm lazy and I just say, hey, you know. And you know what she told me? She said, don't you dare settle for that. Contentment is not about settling. Here, here's the, the phrase that I like about being content. Is that content is being happy in today. But not satisfied without a challenge for tomorrow. Being happy right now, but not satisfied without a challenge for tomorrow. And I knew that. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm single and I was 19 and 20. And, you know, it, it was a challenge. I knew it'd be a challenge to find someone who could put up with me. I mean, I talk a lot. My feet are really ugly. 
And I, I don't pay attention when I'm watching the TV. I mean, just, just I don't. And I knew there's a lot of time. And I have to find someone who's very forgiving and, and whatnot. And, and you know, I, I look back now, and I'm, I'm going to get married this June. And I got three out of three. And I'm, I'm so blessed and so happy for, for how God has, has challenged me in that regard. And he led me right to my fiance. He led us together, and I know that. So I kind of am scared if I would have just settled, you know? Where would I have been? So being content is about being happy in today, but not satisfied without a challenge for tomorrow. All right. So now what we get to here is, is extremes. Okay, we get to the idea of digression. So we talked about rumination, and often digression is, is a path that you take, an action that you take that will take you off course, right? Digressions, extremes. And if we look back to verse 1, what does it say here? There is a time for everything. So these verses are very applicable to extremes, too. And, and I tend to think that, you know, if we're on the course, sometimes just two-degree shifts away from that path will eventually lead us completely off of it, right? It's not like we wake up one day and then overnight we have a problem with alcohol. Or overnight we have a problem with gossip. Or overnight, we spend too much time at work. No, what happens is we might wake up and we say, how in the world did I get off track? And it's two degree shifts away from the path. And a lot of times that's because we focus all of our time and our energy on one thing in life. And that one thing is a lot of times something physical in this world. Maybe it's pleasure. Maybe it's success. Maybe it's finding yourself. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's your reputation. And we focus all our time and energy on that, and slowly this extreme pulls us away from the true path, doesn't it? But you know, the, the, the interesting thing is that we say here these, these verses. Let's look at the next verse. It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. Everything in moderation, right? The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. Grasp the one, not let go of the other. It's like a gymnast who's doing the iron cross on the the rings, right? They have to grasp the one and not let go of the other. If they do, they fall down. They're not doing the iron cross anymore. They're not balanced. Look at the areas of your life. Is there an area of your life right now that could be a potential extreme? That could be potentially causing you to focus on this life, to focus just on the here and now, and that can can cause the worry to come. Take a look back to your leader. Take a look back to your final destination in heaven and realize that that is my destination, not this one thing. And you know, when it comes to detours, when it comes to digressions, there's, there's really two types. You know, there's going to be some of us out there who, who we want to follow God's path and we're trying to figure out how to do that. So detours, sometimes we'll take a detour to, to, try to, to try to get back on that path. And we're not sure exactly how we should do that, but we want to follow God. 
Boy, talk about detours. I, <laughs> I know a lot about that in my personal experience. When, uh, when I was a sophomore in, in college, between my sophomore and junior year, I, I sat over here at ALA, and I was talking with high school teachers again. Anytime I had a problem, I went to my high school teachers. I think they wanted me to go away or something. But So I sat down with two of my teachers, and, and I was broken down. I mean, I was, they had to see me cry. <laughs> Because two years I had invested in, in becoming a pastor. I went to a school in New Old Minnesota to become a pastor. And then I was going to go on to seminary. And I knew, I knew some things. I knew that, that I, wanted, I wanted to just tell people a, about why, why I'm so happy. And that's because I have Jesus. I'm a, I'm a big party guy. I like having people together for parties. And I always felt that, you know, Christianity was just kind of like a big big party like come join the party it's you know we know we're going to heaven and i always i always felt it that way and i wanted to to tell others about it i also wanted to teach people about the truths of god i also liked the idea of getting up in front of people and 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 talking to people on a sunday morning and 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 i also liked the idea of counseling and and all these things and here i was sitting as a as a a high school or sorry as a, a college student about 20 and i didn't want to go back to that college it's not that I, I necessarily was going away from God, but it really was just, you know, I didn't like that college. I kind of swore off the Midwest. I mean, why would you want to go anywhere where your snot freezes? It's just ridiculous. You know, why would I want to go back there? And so in a way, I kind of I took an extreme. I went down to Mexico for six months, an extreme south direction. And I was there, and I taught English as a second language, and, and I worked for a couple mission churches down there trying to figure things out. And along the time, I also went to, to Chile and to Argentina, so further south, so I keep going. And then a funny thing happened. I, I, got, a, I got a call to be a teacher in Wisconsin. All right, I thought I swore off the Midwest, and, and here I was, and I was going to teach I was going to teach high schoolers Spanish, and, and I was going to coach. And I thought, there's no way I can do this. And, and sure enough, I found myself on a plane to Milwaukee. And then three years down the road, after an awesome, awesome time there and some great relationships with some students, I got a call to, to come to Arizona and to be director of outreach and to work beside Jeff Gunn, who, who was a guy who who mentored me and, and it was one of the reasons why I wanted to become a pastor because I saw all the cool things he was able to do. And now I'm doing a lot of counseling. I'm doing a lot of teaching. And every once in a while, Jeff gives me a chance to do a little talk with my friends in front of all of you. And you know, I, I walked by that room the other day where I sat bawling my eyes out with my teachers, I just kind of shook my head and said a little prayer of, you know, all those detours, God, you led me to where you wanted to be. He knew the plan all along. He knew that I needed training in Mexico there to learn some Spanish, to learn how to do outreach. (laughs) He knew that I needed to go to Wisconsin to learn how to teach. And some great things happened along the way. I just went to a spring training game with some of my students that I formed of relationships I form with them up there. And I still have those contacts. I still have friends in Mexico. And all those experiences, all those detours led me back to the path. And, you know, I'm content, but I, I still want to be challenged. I'd love to get my full 
theological degree. I'd love to learn everything that, that, that a pastor knows. And so may, one day, maybe God will let me do that. But know that, that if you are seeking God's path, any detours that you're taking, know that if, if your focus is on the destination, God will lead you back on that path. God will make it work. Sometimes you got to look in the rear view mirror of life and say, hey, you know, I, I see that he led me there and he led me there and led me here. And You know, there's another detour. And at one point in our lives, all of us take it, and that's where we completely go away from God's path. And maybe you're in that boat. Maybe you don't want to have anything to do with it. Maybe you're sick and tired of it, or you don't think that really all the promises are are living up to what they say, and maybe you say, hey, I'm going to take my own path. I'm going to go off-roading here. Maybe you have one toe right there on the, on the right path and, and you're kind of in between and, and you're not sure. And, and the truth is that you and I were born off the, the right path. We were born lost. We were born sinners. We were born without God. And only because of Jesus' innocent life and perfect, an innocent death, perfect life, do we even have the ability to get on the right path and to follow him. You know, there is a time for everything, right? So whether you're on a, on, on a path, on a detour, and you're trying to follow God's path, or maybe you think you're going to follow your own path, I encourage you, take a time for reflection. I have a buddy of mine who had a great thing. He went on a, a 10-hour road trip with his wife. And the first hour, they decided all the topics they were going to talk about on this 10-hour trip, their marriage their finances, their kids, their education, everything in their life, they were going to talk about and devote an hour to each one. And you know what he said? It paid off big time. They were able to see where they were maybe going off on a detour. They were able to see, okay, we need to get back on the path here. How is the blinding sun and the misty fog of worry corrupting our our view of the destination? And they were able to get right back on that path and see the yellow lines and, and follow Christ's word, I encourage you to take some time and reflect. Reflect on, you know, where, where am I? What detours have I taken? And maybe you're wondering, how do I get back on the path? You know, wouldn't it be nice if we were lost out in the desert somewhere, and all of a sudden we just had this golden yellow brick road that led us straight to the main path? Well, let's look at what Proverbs says here. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. If you're twisting and you're turning, you're not sure where things are going, whether you're trying to follow God's path or not. Leaning on his understanding, leaning on his knowledge, looking to him, what will that do? That will give you a straight beeline highway to the right path. Because the right path is faith in Jesus and trust in him. Let's look at uh, our second point here. Having our eyes fixed on Jesus can help us avoid those extremes. And I want us to read these last 
verses together. Hebrews 12, 2 to 3. Let's read these together. You can look on the screen or you can look here on your notes. So we'll start. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If you are an example of someone who never lost focus, who never let worry blind them, look no further than Jesus. He came down and he knew what his mission was. And that mission was to live a life and die a death for you. To live a life and die a death so that you could have that final destination of eternal happiness. And so you don't have to follow that broad path of destruction. And that's why it's called a broad path because so many people take it. But know that that Jesus is the one who did all of that. And look no further than him. So I encourage you to do that today. Let's look at our next steps. Say a prayer of thanks for the blessings God has given you that allow you to be content. I encourage you to do that today. Maybe you have a loved one sitting next to you. Squeeze their hand, you know? Say, thanks God for this person. Thank God for the little things in life. You can look at 1 Thessalonians there, 5, 16 to 18. It's a great reference for that thought of being content and being thankful in each situation. Second one is identify and address a potential dangerous extreme in your life that may throw you off course. So look at the, the extremes in your life and say, okay, what, where might I be going off track here? And finally, meditate on and memorize Hebrews 12, 2 to 13. And if you're really excited, you can also memorize Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Those are great verses to have when we feel a little bit off kilter, off the path. God will make our path straight, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, first of all, we we are so thankful that, that we have your son Jesus as our leader and that he is leading us down that narrow path and that we have a destination not of death. We have a destination of eternal life. And your word tells us so many great things about what heaven will be like. We know it. That this life is is nothing but the way to eternal life. That this is not the end. So we ask you, Lord, that you take any extremes in our life and you let us evaluate those so we get back on the right path. We ask that, that we look at those yellow lines in the road of your word and your promises. And that if we have any blinding sun of worry or the misty fog of doubt, that you come in with your love and your grace And you tell us that, you know, we can be content because your grace is sufficient for us. We ask you to help us be content, to be happy in today, but not satisfied without a challenge for tomorrow. And we can ask all of these things because of your son's great love for us. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.